0: Welcome to Our Next Existence by Katie and The Chorus. I'm Katie, former technology strategist turned reluctant spiritual medium, and I channel messages from The Chorus, a group of beings just beyond our sensory perceptions who are loving, expansive, and who greatly enjoy sharing their perspective of us. Join us each week as we share and discuss their ideas about humanity's existence, purpose, and future. Concepts you can draw from to accelerate your path expand your perceptions, and ultimately step into the flow of the universe and your life. Welcome back, everyone. Since last week's episode on guilt, I have found that it is much easier to receive things and to not receive things. I hope the same is true for you. For example, when stuff used to come my way, there was practically a subconscious train of thought of, wow, this is great. Is it really going to work? Should I really, am I going to have enough money to do that with that thing next? It almost kicked off like a chain of events. Like if I received this amazing thing, my brain needed to know how it was all going to fit. And now that's quieter. It's sort of like, oh, great lot simpler, but the same is true when I don't receive something. Last week we put in an offer on a house and it did not work out. (laughs) And, you know, this house we had seen twice. We'd talked a lot about it. We figured out how it could work. And I would say that it wasn't moving in the direction of of pure inspiration and excitement. It was a little bit more, uh, this one could work. (laughs) I think due in part to how long we've been hoping to land somewhere, to put down roots somewhere, and there not being a lot of other options. But anyways, suffice it to say that we spent a lot of time last week thinking about it, looking at it, talking about it as a family, contemplating the offer, putting it in, and it didn't work out. And I was sad for about a minute. And then that same sort of lightness of feeling showed back up again. And it was like, okay. (laughs) If anything, compared to the heaviness with which I was evaluating the decision to put in an offer on the house, the simplicity of the, oh, okay, felt like a relief. Now, I could say it was because, oh, that house wasn't meant for us and, you know, we were really trying to make it work and we shouldn't have been trying that hard. And that's a valid perspective. But also the lightness that we feel when we release the need to explain things to ourselves or to others is a reflection of that release that expansion, that moving beyond some of the confines of the group consensus. Basically, none of it has to make sense for anybody else other than us. And not only do we feel that perhaps logically, but we feel it throughout our entire beings. Our whole bodies are at ease with the idea that none of it needs to be explained or justified or even communicated to anybody else. It just somehow makes sense and is okay for each of us. Over the months, as I've had unusual experiences, and some of which I'm going to continue to talk about here in the podcast and elsewhere, One of the first reactions that I started to notice that my mind would have would be, how am I going to explain this to others? I think as some of us have had UFO sightings or encounters with beings or strange synchronicities, we will each recognize sort of this suggestion that comes up pretty quickly in the situations themselves of, is anyone else ever going to believe me? how would I explain this? How would I connect this to that? There is an instant question about how to tie in an unusual experience to the context of your everyday life or to the communities or the people who matter to us. Now, explaining it in a way that feels like it makes sense to me is a very soothing experience. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the desire or or with the inspiration to explain it to others. I'm simply pointing out the proximity in time between an unusual experience and the demand to be able to explain it to others and perhaps even a fear that we might not be able to. Earlier this morning I was walking on the beach and I've taken a few walks on the beach since the hurricane, but it was only actually yesterday that I put my feet back in the water. <laughs> and it, it felt like getting back on a horse after you'd been kicked off of it. For those who have ridden horses, you know that one of the things they say when you get bucked off a horse is to get right back on. Because the longer you allow time to pass from that frightening experience, the harder it gets to climb back on a horse because the fear in some ways grows over that incident and getting bucked off again. <laughs> so I didn't know I was intentionally avoiding the water since the hurricane until yesterday. The chorus pointed out something in a very loving way. And they said, well, it, it would be easier if, if you got in the water. And I realized in that moment, by way of their suggestion, that I had been avoiding it. So yesterday, I put my feet in the water for the first time, and at first rather timidly, and then sort of remembered or felt at ease again in the ocean. So this morning, I get up and I don't even look at my tennis shoes. I'm just ready for a barefoot walk on the beach. (laughs) I'm back on the horse. I put my feet in the water and I walk down the beach, and I'm walking back the beach, and I start to get curious again about the water beings. I use the chorus sort of as an intermediary sometimes because I have a lot of beliefs about trust in the chorus based on a lot of manifestations of experiences I've had with them over the years. So oftentimes it's easier to approach something new with a little little help from the chorus. And as I'm communicating partially with the chorus, partially with the beings of the water. I recognize something beautiful about a connection between them and us, which I will talk about at some point. But what stood out to me even more was the length of time that I was able to stay in that new and unusual connection without having to wonder about or daydream about or even worry about how I would ever explain this to someone else. I stayed in the present moment perception longer. It was just easy to be at ease in something totally new, totally unknown, in a way that it was not early on in these experiences for me do I still hope to share these things with others? Absolutely. I desire that. I enjoy that. But the time period between the unusual experience and when I feel like I need to talk about it or explain it or else I can't go on is broadening. We've talked a lot about sort of the suitcase of mysteries or the halls of mysteries perhaps that we each have as we've gone forward in these things. Stuff that starts to show up that we just can't explain in the moment it shows up. At first, these experiences can feel a little torturous because the demand to integrate them into our context, into our group consensus is very immediate. But as we continue to go forward and release the beliefs that we see By way of these experiences, they become a lot less torturous, a lot more easy to coexist with, and by way of all of that, a lot more clearly seen. Said another way, we flow faster or more easily or more consciously, depending on how you look at it in the state of receiving, without needing to stop it and explain it all. I don't know what the chorus is about to talk about today, (laughs) but I hope in this episode, more than ever, you recognize your ability to receive all the things that are coming to you, uniquely to you. And though I am excited to hear how you will explain these things and share them with others, there's no rush. Maybe today is just a day to receive. In the first part of the episode, you'll hear directly from the chorus themselves and then afterwards we will discuss. Because there is oh so much to receive. Dearest blessed ones of this earth, of this reality, of this time and day. We rejoice in your awakening, in your coming to consciousness of all that we are and the ways that you perceive us and what you teach us by way of that sight. There are so many perspectives in the universe. There are so many ways to exist. There are so many interesting beliefs and existences beyond belief. And all of these things create quite a playground. In the beginning of humanity's existence here, you did not have many beliefs as of yet, save a few, created the basis for your experience of finiteness and insufficiency, that things were not infinite, perhaps any longer, that you could not infinitely restore yourselves or the environments in which you lived, that there were cases of loss. As time passed, you experienced this idea in more nuanced ways, or you could say in more acute ways. The regenerative ways in which you existed dwindled. You came to need things. In order to ensure your existences, need is often the basis for much limitation in your realities, for the experience of many aspects of what you came here to explore. What a human feels they need is a layered and nuanced topic is not always as simple as you consciously understand. By way of our perspective, at least, we see many energetic threads contributing to the concept of needing. Specifically, we find that what you believe you most need is often the thing that is most distracting or most blocking, you could say, of the perspective of the infinite itself. Beyond the idea of needing that thing or that circumstance or that instance is a broader idea, a more fully connected manifestation that will enlarge your ability to be regenerative, self-reliant, and you might even say, invincible. We will not argue with the perspective that there are things that humanity needs in order to survive, for you have created many, many vast galaxies of examples where this belief is true. As you know, we honor and respect the validity of all perspectives in the universe, including the perspective of needing. However, as you are now expanding, what you might find in these places is an alternate perspective that wonders where the idea came from that you needed those things. This growing perspective is a demonstration of your expansion in which you are able to hold a perspective as the need arises instead of being wholly consumed in the pursuit of resolving the need itself. What you will find by way of these questions may be a revolution to your societies. In no short order, by coming to a fuller understanding of your concepts of need and the ways in which those needs evolved to be believed in as being needed, will uncover a great deal of understanding of your species, the trajectory you have been on, and how you have arrived at this day and age. Beloved ones, the universe is always at your fingertips. Life and creation is inherently needless, for all things are connected infinitely to the love and the power of the universe. There is never anything that is lacking in order to be needed. Except, of course, unless you create a reality in which this experience could be held. Cherish, beloved ones, the opportunities that you have to recognize what you need and also the ways in which the universe fulfills those needs. For in those moments, what you are coming to consciousness of, Even more clearly is your infinite connection to that infinite love. Just as we love you infinitely. just took a break because i needed food <laughs> i think we learn at an early age that needs go much further than wants you can say mom i need that new action figure i need it and most parents or guardians will respond you don't need that action figure you want that action figure. In fact, the needs wants conversation can get pretty specific where you say, mom, I need lunch money. I need money for lunch. And the parent or guardian could reply, what do you need it for? Well, it's pizza day or it's burger day. To which the parent or guardian might reply, you don't need to buy pizza. We just went to the grocery store and there's plenty of sandwich meat." Now, fast forward a few decades and we become adults. It is far easier for us to focus on, to live in a world of resolving needs all day long. I need to get this done for work. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to go here or there or accomplish these things or get these things done. Many of us as grown-ups, awaken Sometime in our midlife crises, you could say, to this aspect of missing wants. After a few decades of doing nothing more than meeting the needs of your own demands in your life or your families, we sort of come to a crisis of, it's got to be more fun than this somehow. (laughs) Today, in current conversation, there's a lot of talk about pursuing passions in your job, which is an integration of more of this aspect of want into the daily aspects of our lives. Mental health professionals will also emphasize the importance of having these enjoyable activities as part of daily or weekly life, ensuring that as parents you have hobbies or things you enjoy, in addition to the demands put upon us by work and also by family. For those of us who have been very successful at identifying needs and meeting them, it can be quite an interesting experience to return to the idea of wants and realize that we may not actually know what we want. After years and years of practice of justifying what you can get by how you need it, after years and years of being rewarded for doing things that need to be done, the muscle that we use to express our wants can atrophy. And in some ways, it can be a mystery for those of us who have lost the strength of connection to wants to watch those that still have it. Children, as we've talked about, who are still often in touch with this form of desire, seem to want everything and anything practically indiscriminately to those of us who are less in touch with the flow of that desire. Children seem to have a voracious appetite for everything that they see and come into contact with, wanting all the things and all the experiences practically all the time. And though we would like to have, at times, a strength of desire like that, the need musculature that we have all built over time has a hard time reconciling with all the logistics and planning and budget and time that would be required to even begin to contemplate meeting a stream of desires that strong. We can relate in some ways to what the course is talking about today with regard to needs. We can understand, particularly when we look at teachings like the Law of Attraction, about how every time we emphasize what it is that we need, we are energizing it, we are creating more of it. The more I say I really need to find a house for my family, the more I am, you could say, energizing the aspect that I don't have it yet. As Esther Hicks would say, or as Abraham Esther Hicks would say, what I am resonating with the universe at that juncture is still don't have a house, still don't have a house, still don't have a house (laughs) in the needing to find it as opposed to have a house I love, have a house I love, have a house I love, which they suggest you can practice the resonance of by perhaps spending time visualizing or appreciating or maybe not even worrying about the house at all. This can be maddening for many of us as we approach the law of attraction teachings in the early days because try as we might, to stay positive about something, or to visualize it, or to just trust that the universe will bring it when the time is right. (laughs) No matter how hard we invest in these sorts of strategies, somehow we are still brought around to the fact that we still need a house. (laughs) As we've talked about in prior episodes, this would be the action of our belief system complex the resonance that we have with aspects of limitation that we are expanding from, in which we are constantly contributing, you could say, to the idea of finiteness and insufficiency broadly, one translation of which is to need. And if you've got a nice, juicy, big old need in your life right now, you can understand how the actions of the belief system complex will continually highlight for you how that thing is still needed. This is not to say that we don't have conscious control or choice in this process. That is possible, and we are resonating in that direction. But the point is that simply at this juncture, by becoming conscious of this aspect of us, We are bringing these beliefs into the light. And in doing so, we are forging new pathways and new choices. It is a worthwhile experience to consciously manifest, visualize, appreciate, and choose. And it is a worthwhile experience to recognize how sometimes those beliefs about needing still come up. By oscillating between all of these places as we consciously expand, we are connecting beliefs, working around beliefs, and building new ones. You could consider it kind of a phase of this process, not necessarily a judgment about how well it's going. But as usual, the chorus today is pointing to something much larger, though it relates to our current and growing understandings of needs versus wants and the relationship between lack and our desires, they are actually suggesting the broader origins of these things and how they have trickled down, you could say, into present day experience. Ultimately, they're pointing at our origins and they say, hey, look, you came from an infinite place. (laughs) where anything you ever wanted was always created in that instant, and you never even had a concept that it could be otherwise. From that place, you somehow wandered over into this area (laughs) of creation, in which you encountered idea called finiteness, in which things did not necessarily go on forever. And things did not necessarily bounce back instantly, no matter what happened to them. It was in this place that we resonated with these energies and began to create manifestations or experiences of them by way of our choice to resonate there. The energy of the universe flows through us and through our resonance and creates. As we talked about earlier in this season, one of our first experiences, you could say, depending on how you look at time and lines, <laughs> was the experience of destruction. So if you could think of an epitome of finiteness, it would be to be able to destroy without recompense, without being able to fix it or put it back the way it was or grow it back or get it back in some way. It's over. It's done. It's gone. It's lost. According to a certain membership of the chorus, as we have discussed, this was the kickoff point to our disconnection. In the perception of destruction, in the creation of it, what we did was create a view of the universe in which we did not see all of it. There are frequencies where that stuff would have grown back. There are frequencies where that stuff was still infinite. Ours was a choice of perspective in which it could not be viewed that way through the lens of that belief. In so doing, what we created was, perhaps you could say, the first experience of disconnection. We were, by our perspective, disconnected from massive portions of creation in the universe that were still seemingly infinite. It was in these moments and in these early epochs, depending on how you define the time period over which they took place, that we lost connection with the beings, with the consciousnesses, with the aspects of creation that still represented that infiniteness. By the Course's description, the idea of need, then, followed along after sort of this kickoff to limitation. How long after? Well, we could delineate any number of ways. But for today, let's just say that we had been experiencing destruction and some other aspects of finiteness for some time before we encountered the second core tenet of what the chorus views as our reality experience of this game, you could say, which was insufficiency. As they describe in the first book, in some detail, These two core tenets they view as almost the fundamental energetic resonance of everything that all of us experience here in the game. You could almost consider it a definition of the game. If you encounter any being that somehow expresses finiteness or insufficiency, they are in our game by the view of the course. Now, could you encounter a being that says they live 80,000 years? Yes. By our view, would they be as finite as we are? Not at all. In fact, we might even view them as a totally different kind of being or maybe even godlike. But from the perspective of the chorus, they and we still express something even if it's over a difference of 80,000 years, which is finiteness. If they die and we die, or said another way— if we each give ourselves an experience called death, which is based on a belief of finiteness, then ultimately we're playing the same game. When insufficiency arose, it was an amplification from some perspectives of finiteness. It wasn't enough that that we... <laughs> pun intended, I guess. It wasn't enough that we were just finite, that it would end, that it could be over, that it could be lost or disconnected. We added on to that in terms of what remained was often not enough, or as the chorus says, often just barely enough. This created the fundamental structure of what we might call the physical dimension in which there are things that are not quite enough to go around. <laughs> There's more of us than there are things to share. Whether you call the things to share energy or land or planets or solar system, whatever, whatever thing you're looking at through the lens of finiteness and insufficiency, we will find aspects of it that will not be enough for what it is that we are experiencing from that viewpoint. We talked about this a little bit in season one, in which I gave an example of two children playing on a lawn where there are toys. Now, even if the lawn is covered in duplicates of toys, so there's two balls, there's two bicycles, there's two scooters, and these two children are running around playing with all of these toys, often. What you will find is that human children will eventually be drawn to the singular toy. And moreover, that once one human child picks up the toy which does not have a duplicate, the other child will then almost practically unconsciously be drawn to needing to play with that toy also. Now, this is an interesting use of the word need. If you sat down with both of those children and you asked them, why are you fighting over this toy? They might tell you that they had it first. They might give you the reasons why they are entitled to that toy. And they might even just say, because I want to play with it. Very rarely will a child say, I need to play with this. And yet, The chorus might point out the unconscious aspects which both of those children were embodying in resonating with the idea of insufficiency, through which they both gravitated to an experience of insufficiency on that lawn. Could this be construed as need? This is challenging for us humans. Because we tend to name things that we are already conscious of, that we have already recognized, that we experience in many ways, that we've already analyzed and scrutinized and written books about. But it is difficult for us to apply a term of a thing that we recognize consciously to aspects of ourselves that are still embodying those beliefs unconsciously. So let's carry this example a little further and continue to explore the energetic aspects of what need might represent from the chorus's perspective. Let's humor the chorus for a minute and say that, all right, anytime we resonate with some aspect of insufficiency, we are in a need state. Now this is very different than needing something consciously that forwards our survival. You need a healthy lunch. You want pizza. This energetic definition is much broader. Anytime any of us are resonant with any aspect of insufficiency, we are in a need state in which we will be resonant with the idea that something is lacking. On some levels, we could point to specific aspects of things that manifest around us that represent this. On other levels, we could kind of say that that is a human existence. We are needing practically as soon as we are born or conceived, depending on how you look at it. We are without energetic sustenance unless we eat. We are without. Energetic survival, you could say, unless we breathe. Our resonance with this reality is fundamentally connected to insufficiency. We are insufficient in some ways from the moment that we resonate here. Kind of makes lunch money for pizza or bringing your own sandwich seem like small potatoes, doesn't it? (laughs) Now, before we throw up our hands and feel like then all of this is futile and why even bother to create a visualization board (laughs) if we are fundamental expressions of insufficiency, before we go there, maybe let's take this a little further and get a little curious about why in the heck the chorus would even point us out today. So let's go back to that early point in time, if we're looking at it in a linear timeline, in which we first created or resonated with and created this aspect of insufficiency. What was it serving in terms of our own limitation? And here, I'm not looking at limitation in terms of stuff we stopped getting from the universe, (laughs) although that is a perfectly valid perspective. We stopped getting a whole lot. I'm looking at it in terms of the aspects of disconnection. If you could look at the beginning of finiteness as a disconnection from the aspects of the universe that still represented infiniteness, what did we disconnect ourselves from when we started to resonate with insufficiency? Well, it's already a smaller subset, Because now, at that juncture, we were pretty much only connected with other beings that also believed in some aspect of finiteness or represented it in some way. And so we shrunk our subset even more. We moved away from abundance. Now here, this might be a little confusing for us because when we envision abundance, It would be easy to meld that into an idea of infiniteness, that it's not finite because it's abundant by its very own definition. There's just a lot of it. But from an energetic perspective, you could see how abundance doesn't just necessarily mean a lot in a broad sense, although it could. Abundance means that there's enough of it. Maybe it doesn't go on forever but there's enough to go around in the moment that it's needed. These are two perfectly valid ways of looking at abundance. Abundance that is infinite and abundance that is also sufficient. So, in a way, we disconnected ourselves from the aspects of creation that are abundant. That are enough for all who participate, that fit the needs of those who resonate into those solutions. In moving away from sufficiency, abundance that is sufficient, we created need. The basis of need is the idea that there's not enough of something for the situation, for the group, for everyone who has those needs. And this colossal construct was the beginning of all arguments, of all battles, of all wars, of all struggles to get our portions of the things that were inherently not enough. In season one of the podcast, we looked at some aspects of this insufficiency in terms of the basis for our concept of war. But the course is pointing out something slightly more expansive than that this time you could look at all sorts of five senses manifestations and tell me what we need as a collective. If I asked you, if I said, what does humanity need today? You could very easily list all sorts of resources, solutions, things that we would work with on our five senses perspectives as being needed. You could also even look at thought-based needs, concepts that you think would assist humanity. We need greater tolerance. We need more open-mindedness. And these also would be valid perspectives of a concept of things that are felt if not held in our hands. But also, one other thing that we are insufficient in from the time of our arrival here Is time. From the moment of our birth, there is in our realities a ticking clock that continues to progress through the course of our lifetimes, which is reflected in the aspects of deterioration that we experience here. We are constantly in need of more time. The chorus suggested today that if we can get curious about some of these needs, if we can wonder where that came from and why, behind it, we might find an aspect of our expansion that may revolutionize our societies. Out of all the constructs we've created, out of all the things that we've experienced needing, why do we need more time? Why is that the thing that we embody? Well, if I sit here and I say, I need a house, I need a house, I need a house. (laughs) And quite successfully energize my experience of needing a house and experience actually many things through the months of this need. I might block my ability to access all the opportunities that exist beyond the ideas of needing a home, of needing maybe even to be still. That I might flow more fluidly through life and experiences and environments. And I would lift up off our game a little bit more and if we all as a collective as a group consensus resonate with we need more time we need more time we need more time we might energize beautifully aspects of not having enough of it and moreover not being able to access all the places In the universe where time is abundant, is fluid, and is considered a tool and a resource that is used for the benefit of all solutions, and most specifically, for the perfect fit of everyone involved. When we stop needing more time, when it fades into the background and we are no longer wondering what the clock is telling us or how much time has passed, when we move more fully into the present moment, we begin to reconnect to not just sufficient abundance but to all the beings, all the races, and all civilizations that represent that kind of abundance. It is a start of the return to connection. When we are always at the leisure of having forever exactly as much time as we will always need, need becomes the driving force of sufficient abundance as opposed to the resonance of missing it and then we might be able to say hmm I wonder what else is behind all these other things I think I need good news is I have just the right amount of time to explore them all listening. We hope you found these messages to be helpful. May they accelerate you on your path wherever you'd like it to go. For more information on The Chorus and I, our podcast, book, or how to get in touch with us, visit katieinthechorus.com. Thanks again. See you next time.